So I think a lot of people who say, I can't do Shavasana, it agitates me, have two issues. Number one, they're not propped enough to feel comfortable. And number two, they haven't been there long enough. So all they are doing is just getting a tiny bit quiet and they notice the spinning mind and they say, oh, that must be coming. The cause must be external. That must be caused by this pose. Ergo, I don't like this pose. But actually, as we know, what the pose is doing is exposing what's there. So first first relaxation and then Shavasana, which I think is a Pratyahara state. Today I'm coming at you with episode 133, and I have the honor, the joy, I mean, it was... (laughs) I was a little kind of like taken back because I've been wanting to speak with uh, with with Judith for a long time, but I, I got Judith last year on the show, and I'm just like I'm still as I'm doing this intro, I'm still like just smiling from ear to ear. Um, Judith and I met maybe 11 years ago. I took uh, a class of her at a, at a yoga journal workshop, and I immediately just fell in love with her. She was super awesome, knew her stuff, very smart, super sharp. Um, and I started following some of her work online as I did a lot of other teachers and uh, restorative yoga was introduced to me because of her. Um, I was supposed to study with her this summer and they didn't get to do it. Um, and that's how I got introduced to Cindy Lee and I got to practice with some of her stuff. Y'all might've heard that episode, uh, not too long ago. Uh, Judith has been in the yoga industry for quite some time. She's about to celebrate 50 years. Uh, she's got 10 books written. Her new one is coming out. Uh, we get to talk a little bit about that and we also really dived in about restorative and why it's just important to rest. This episode was extremely special for me. I've I've been, again, a big fan and and she's just done so much for the yoga community. Um, So I'm happy to have her on the show. Um, Just a quick heads up, the podcast is now available on my app. It's totally free. You can download it. There's links below, but every single podcast is uh, there so you can find it in one hot spot. You don't have to look around. Um, If you love the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Don't forget to tell your friends the name has changed from Yogi Misfit Sessions to Seeker and Sage Podcast. Without further ado, here comes episode 133. Judith, as I was just telling you before I hit record, I feel like this is, uh, I was just on Instagram telling everyone that I feel like this is the podcasting, like this is, I, where do I go for my yoga podcast after this? I've, I've peaked right here. Well, first of all, let me say that I'm, I'm flattered, very flattered that you think that. And I'm so pleased that you invited me to speak to your podcast ease. And to speak with you and I, just from the few minutes that we spoke, I can already tell we're going to have too much to talk about. <laughs> I'm well. I'm, I'm totally, totally uh, okay with that. You know, this uh, uh, this show started just as a side project for fun, and 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 secretly and selfishly, I now get to just talk to a bunch of teachers that I've I've wanted to have conversations with, and. You know, just uh, the the seeker is always in me, and so being able to sit back and and truly listen to the wisdom from so many people that I love and respect, uh, you know, your work including has completely changed my practice, and so it's just it's very cool, and I'm totally fangirling on this. That I wish you could see the big just grin. Um, you can maybe even hear it on my face right now. I'm just I'm very excited to have you here. Very 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 excited. 
Yes, I can. I can sense your grinning. <laughs> Great. <Maybe either. laughs> so I know all about Judith because I've been following you for for a long time. I was I was mentioning, you know, I, I actually met you about 10, 11 years ago. It was at the Yoga Journal conference when those things were still going on. And I actually learned about my rotator cuff injury and how to take care of my rotator cuff because of you in that lovely workshop. Did it help? Did it help you get rid of it? It, it actually helped me support it. I decided not to, this was one of the main reasons why I decided not to get surgery because I, I, I knew that, and this is, I was very new to yoga. I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was still very like, well, I'm going to go to the power hot yoga class. Cause that's what you do. And that's what's local. And, um, you know, I thought that I was going to get cut open and have them, have them go in and do what they needed to. And because of the inquiry and because of the knowledge that I got from that, I, I I had a feeling that there was more and there might be some other solutions out there. And so it gave me, um, it gave me more agency of choice to, to dive deeper and learn more about the injury and what was going on. And I decided to rehab it and actually it slowed, I mean, it slowed my practice down as a lot of us do. I started off as an Ashtanga junkie, um, and it slowed my practice down so much. And it, it gave me, uh, permission to really be in the practice versus do the practice versus just go and have to do the poses and do the poses. It gave me permission to slow down and listen. Yeah. It was your guru. Yeah, it truly, and still to this day, it has been, it has been my biggest teacher is that injury, you know, it's, um, it's. You think you're coming to my class for a really slow based practice, but oh boy, you're in for something else. <laughs> well, you you know, the thing is that that is really, if we take the word yoga and just expand it much larger than asana, as we all know, mm-hmm. it is about listening more to your body, to your feelings, mm-hmm. to your inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. And that the practice is designed to, to take us back home, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. to our highest self. Mm-hmm. And so when we have these obstacles, they are, as we would like to say here in California, not problems, but opportunities. Yeah. And what I admire and am pleased to notice is to be a little part of you, your life in the sense of li- stimulating that reflective nature in you about your shoulder, because you said a really important word, which is choice. I don't want us to think, oh, whatever problem I have, yoga can solve it. That's naive. And I'm not implying that you did that. But what we want to get from our mat and our meditation cushion and our reading and our self-reflection is is that self-awareness so that when we are triggered, when we are in difficult situations, as we are now with the virus and this political upheaval mm-hmm. and, the, and the racial gro- uh, tolerance and growth that we're struggling with and all the, the things that are going on right now in the world, environmental issues, mm-hmm. is that when we feel ourselves becoming triggered, we can remember that quiet place. Mm-hmm. And we can make a choice. And that, that to me is the entire reason we practice. So we have that pause, that choice to choose what we say and what we do so that they are in concert with our highest values, because that's the samskaras, the 
the footprints on the beach that we are leaving in our own nervous system and in the world. Mm. And that's what changes the world when we make a choice for to follow a choice to follow our own integrity, mm-hmm. our own wisdom, our own knowing, and our own deepest self. So I'm really honored and humbled to be part of your choice. Well, I mean, I mean, in, in so many ways, uh, you know, your, the work that you've done, um, and what you've really, what you've brought to yoga. I mean, you've been, you've been doing this for, for a while and it's Judith, it's really funny because it, if you talk to some of the students that come to my practice now and they're like, you do restorative, like, who are you? And (laughs) I kid you not. I kid you not, because, you know, for a while I, I, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I love the party tricks. I'm never going to get rid of the party tricks. They're, they're some of my favorite things to do playing on my hands, which just brings me, it's just the inner five-year-old comes out and it gives me permission to just laugh and giggle and fall over and have a great time. That's fun. But what really gave me permission to transform and, and, and really to, to sit back and have those moments with God, you know, whatever you want to whatever you want to call that with the universe or what that's the drop-in moment is what I call it. It's when you're kind of in the space in between was restorative yoga. And it's funny because I, I do less vinyasa. I do less, all of the things and I do more of the restorative and I've gotten stronger. (laughs) I can do more. And it's like my, wow. It's like my body was telling me to rest. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. And I'm so, I want to say proud of you. If you don't, find that condescending that no, not at all. you you recognize that because mm-hmm. the physical act of letting go that you get in restorative yoga mimics the mental act of letting go like all day long we can let go of what triggers us and the mental act of letting go mimics the spiritual act of letting go mm-hmm. and that is the realization that it wasn't about me anyway it's not me. It's not you. There's something there, the divinity, the wholeness, the self, the one, God, whatever word doesn't trigger you. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the value of restorative yoga, if I may tell you my formal definition. Yeah. I want to hear it from you. My direct, direct. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> restorative yoga is the use of props to support the body in positions of comfort and ease to, to create relaxation and health. Mm. And when we get the, the, the great wondrousness of it, there is such a word, is when we get that profoundly still, we, we experience or we rediscover or we allow a deep sense of inner silence. Mm. And when we are connected to that part of us, there is no fear, there is no anxiety, there's no hatred, there's no greed. All the yamas and niyamas are practiced spontaneously in that moment. Judith, why do you think it's so hard for people to find that four-letter word rest? Well, we grew up in a culture, uh, I certainly did, and I'm assuming you did. My parents used to say to us, my brother and me, you can do anything you want, you just have to work hard. It was the, my parents were the great generation, the World War II people, the people who went out and saved the world, literally. Mm-hmm. And they came out of the depression and were all shaped by our social 
and cultural backgrounds, but they they just believed that what we all needed to do was to work hard mm. and that that's what life was about. And so I think we've got a lot of that. We come up in an educational system which awards hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we kind of take it in. It's sort of the American way. We're still a very young culture and we've been busy building it and working. And I think now the internet has made work very much less uh, boundaried. And so we get caught up in that. My daughter went to um, architecture school and she's a yoga teacher, but she went to architecture school and loved learning about design. And she said the problem with the project that we're to turn in at the end of the semester and present to a, a group of architects in the real world architects uh, is that you're never done. Like you always can keep going back and changing it. Right. And so we have that mentality. Mm. And we are also very much like two-year-olds who are telling you, mommy, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And you put them in the bed and they're asleep in 20 seconds. Right. That we're so fatigued often and depleted that, we're just running on, as my mama used to say in Texas, we're just running on nerves. Right. It's at this yeah. point, it's just adrenaline. You're just going and going and going and going. You yeah. don't have that time to pause and to restore. <laughs> I mean, truly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, there's a lot of studies. I've been part of them for National Institute of Health and uh, know people that study this more deeply than I do, but there is a basically everyone's exhausted and stressed out and stress and exhaustion play a part in every single breakdown of the body or disease process. And just as a simple example, when you're in the state, well, I, I think of Shavasana as having three levels. Okay. And the first, do you want to know? Yeah, of course. The first level is physiological relaxation. Okay. And it, you have to get that first, and it takes the average person about 15 minutes to do that. Mm. So you have to have a basic, at least 15-minute shavasana. And during that stage, that's when your anxiety is reduced, your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and repair, it, all of that is happening. Your blood pressure, your heart rate, your, it helps your immune system. You know, it sets every, it, it, It's the nourishment part of our nervous system rather than the sympathetic go, go. Right. And so most of us live in sympathetic dominance. And one of the ways I know that is when you call a 1-800 line, Mm -hmm. you know, your bank, or you're calling something to get some help. They say, would you mind holding on? I need to go check that out. Sure. And they come back in 45 seconds and they say, I'm so sorry. That was such a long wait. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I was just doing pranayama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone's and, and so first we have to relax. We have then when and I want to check with you because I want to see if this is how it, you experience it. Okay. Is when I get relaxed there's a then there's a switch and there's a sinking down and a an natural introversion away from the outside. So mm-hmm. I might hear a phone in the distance, but it doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. And I feel amorphous in in the physical sense, my body. I'm not so aware of 
my left leg, my right arm, my lower back on the right, whatever. Do you have that experience? Yeah, it's like a, it's the space in between. Like for me, it feels almost like I'm asleep, but I'm awake. It's like an in between. Like I'm, I know that the world is happening, but you don't care. <laughs> exactly, and I know that, and, and I know my. I, I know my body's there. And again, I'm not like so detailed into the nuance of like, oh, there's my toe and there's this and that. Mm -hmm. It's it's my consciousness is there. I can hear the things. I know that stuff's happening around me, but nothing else exists. All right. That is Shavasana. Yeah. All right. And you can't get there unless you're relaxed. So I think a lot of people who say, I can't do Shavasana, it agitates me, mm -hmm. have two issues. Number one, they're not propped enough to feel comfortable. And number two, they haven't been there long enough. So all they are doing is just getting a tiny bit quiet and they notice the spinning mind and they say, oh, that must be coming. The cause must be external. That must be caused by this pose. Mm. Ergo, I don't like this pose. Right. Actually, as we know, what the pose is doing is exposing what's there. So right. first, first relaxation and then Shavasana, which I think is a Pratyahara state. You know, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean when I say yep. Pratyahara? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's define it for people. It's the conscious withdrawal from the senses. Yep. It, and it's exactly what you said. It's not, it's not that you don't hear. It's that you don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't disturb you. You couldn't be bothered. It just ruffles through you, flows through you like wind through a, a reed, mm. you know, wind through the trees. It doesn't ruffle the leaves. <laughs> and then there's another state, uh, which I think is, is a different state. It's a shunya. A means not a prefix of A, or um is a negating prefix in Sanskrit. Mm -hmm. And a shunya means non-emptiness. So it's not emptiness and it's not fullness. And you know a shunya when you come back from it because it is very close to being an egoless state. And that doesn't happen every time when I practice. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? When you suddenly come back from somewhere, but you weren't asleep? Yeah. I mean, I it's almost what I would call, it's what I call the drop-in of meditation, maybe. It's yeah. when... Yeah. I know, I mean, yeah, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's when I sit and I've gone, so it doesn't happen every time I meditate. I wish, you know, I wish it did, but you know, sometimes it's within two minutes I'm there and other times it's, you know, two hours later and finally you might have a glimpse of it, but it's, you're completely just not, you're again, you're present and you're aware, but you're not, and maybe, I don't know, I guess maybe it's, it's, it, it feels the same, but more I think about it when I'm sitting versus when I'm met yeah. or I'm in Shavasana. What I what I really want the whole world to do is twenty minutes of shavasana every day. When I do I think, too. <laughs> when I think when we get into that state of pratyahara, mm -hmm. that's when we are healed. That's when we are radically transformed. Yeah. So twenty minutes, at least fifteen minutes to get deeply relaxed, and then five minutes in that state. My kids used to say to me, uh, "They'd be home. They they all went to boarding school because it's a family tradition, and they mm -hmm. loved it." And, so there was three of them and that five and a half years apart in five and a half years, there were three of them. And so at some point, you know, one of two of them in boarding school, one's in, you know, high school and, you know, at college and it was all kind of mixed in. But when they were that age, sometimes they would come home and they would say to me, mom, you're acting like a brat. 
you need to go upstairs to the yoga room and shavas yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And they were always right. Go shavas yourself. Yeah. It's that permission to, I mean. To be and not to be. Yeah. Restorative taught me that, Judith. I, 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 you know, I've, um, I learned from a, a friend of yours, Cindy. Um, we, Cindy I had her. Lee? Yeah. Cindy Lee. She was another fun one I had on the pod. She was great. She, I, I love Cindy Lee. I'm, 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 I fangirl over her too. Um, that I, I got to, you know, I, I, this year specifically, uh, there's a lot of hard stuff going on this year, but I personally had my heart broken because I was supposed to spend summer with you. I was Mm going to do level one and two with you. And, you know, it was, it was through your readings. And then I know you also do some online stuff that I really got to taste restorative Mm -hmm. and some teachers that had practice with you. Um, Darren Main teaches a mean restorative class here in San Francisco. That's kind of a funny statement, a mean restorative class, but I know yeah. I, I really am fond of these people you're speaking of. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I never really got it until, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know until you know until you get there. And you know, this year I was gonna again spend spend time and 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 learn directly from you. Uh, but I have to hold tight. You know, I have to hold tight and just stick to your readings and you know, I I I'd forgot until you mentioned that you're you're doing online trainings too, though. So that might be another oh, yeah. outlet. Not you know, just for me, but for a bunch of other people. You can find out all about that. Just go to Judith.yoga. Okay. This episode is sponsored by an app called Fastic. Fastic is an app that helps you manage your intermittent fasting lifestyle. This app helps you achieve your individual goals with personalized plans, motivation, and support groups. I incorporate intermittent fasting into my daily life and it always makes me feel amazing. This app is free to try. You can download it by searching Fastic. That's F-A-S-T-I-C. This episode is brought to you by Real Paper a tree-free toilet paper made 100% from bamboo. I'm so stoked on this product, truly. Every roll of uh, purchased helps fund access to clean toilets for those who need it. The quality of the toilet paper is luxurious. I'm thrilled that there's no plastic involved whatsoever. Uh, From the cardboard box to the wrappers, it's all reusable and or recyclable. It's conveniently delivered to your doorstep, which is even cooler. Uh, I really do just love this stuff. Uh, use my coupon code Danny and receive 25% off your first order at realpaper.com. Now back to the show. But you know, but don't you think that, or no, let me don't say it. That's sort of passive aggressive telling you what your answer should be. <laughs> Try to pay attention to my language. Do you think that all the important things in life, in fact, maybe all learning is about experiencing? Absolutely. There are, you know, it has, be, it has to be like that difference is talked about in the Shastras, you know, about describing a peach mm-hmm. perfectly and knowing everything about a peach or taking a bite of it. Mm-hmm. And yoga is a practice of taking a bite of it. So you yeah. only know when you know exactly as you said, until you've tasted it, you don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, with, you know, with anything, I have now just recently started to really understand the concept that there are only certain things time can teach you. And I don't necessarily only mean like with age and wisdom, which is a part of it, but just the time that you spend with things, the time that you spend inside of a practice, the time that you spend on your cushion, 
the time that you spend being of service, whatever it may be, being of service or, you know, moving in and out of a pattern that you may or may not be good for you, whatever it is, time can truly only teach you like it's, it's the only way that you, you get to that, you know, and not discrediting also your experience wherever sometimes that happens early on in life. And sometimes that happens really late in life. Yeah. And it could happen in a second or it can take two years. The thing is, you know, about asana, asana is such, and that's why I liked it in the beginning is because I was always sort of interested in the inner world and thought about being a psychotherapist briefly because I would be a terrible one. Like I think I would practice <laughs> the the snap out of it therapy. Like you could come to me with your problems and I just look at you and shake my head and go snap out of it. That'll be a hundred dollars. Those rates are cheap these days. <laughs> well, this was some time ago. Snap out of it therapy. Um, but <laughs> what I think about the asana now is so different than my 20s. So next year will be my 50th anniversary of teaching. Okay. And the what I'm finding now is that the integrity of the asana, when it is practiced with integrity, mm-hmm. physical, mental, emotional, whatever, integrity, it becomes vibrant in a way without any effort. It becomes clear mm-hmm. without struggle. Mm-hmm. And thus it becomes a seat of refuge. You know, asana means seat, mm-hmm. becomes a seat of refuge. And then we experience the quietness, the silence that spontaneously arises. And so that's what our asana is about. You know, I when I think of the Ashtanga Yoga and uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, and I think, you know, Yamaniyama, especially, like starting with the hymn. So these precepts, I no longer think of them as proscriptive, like this is what you're supposed to do. I think of them now as descriptive, mm. like this is what an integrated, how an integrated person lives. Right. An integrated person does not harm. Right. You know, an integrated person does not steal, not because it's not a moral teaching. It's not saying don't steal because you're bad. It's like if you steal, it won't work. It won't fill the hole. It's not the solution to your problems. It's not your solution to your suffering. Mm -hmm. It's just not effective. So it's so pragmatic. And so what I have found over these 50 years, first, I was drawn in so much with the asana, like all of us are, and still practice every day. Um, But the asana is a spiritual act. If we are a spiritual, if we have that spiritual, for lack of a better word, intention, Mm -hmm. that every part of practice is sacred, and there's not a hierarchy. Right. There's just a circle. For a long time, I practiced with a teacher who never necessarily spoke about philosophy in the room. You know, he was never really outwardly saying, oh, this is ahimsa and this is that. And here's a story on Hanuman or any of that. Mm-hmm. It was just very clear, precise direction, mindfulness, experience of pose. Mm-hmm. And I would think, oh, I go to this teacher 
because you know this teacher is my asana teacher that's what he teaches me he teaches me yoga poses and how to do yoga poses and it wasn't until after i did a training with the teacher and i experienced his classes after you know this training where i was like oh my god this man's been teaching me philosophy the entire time uh-huh. he's been teaching me the intention of listening He's been teaching me the skill of refinement. He's been teaching me the skill of listening to my thought patterns when I'm in a pose that triggers me or that upsets me. He's been teaching me that when he cues something and I'm like, why the fuck did you do that right now? I'm tired. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And 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 to in that moment to be like, well, Danny, are you gonna just burn through this? Are you gonna go? Are we gonna gonna go through this? Are you gonna give yourself permission to back off? You know, he's been teaching me the philosophy the entire time. It's almost like a tr- joke's on you. <laughs> now, the joke's always on us. The yeah. <laughs> That's why Buddha has this smi- um, mysterious, enigmatic smile. It's like, you are, you are the blessing. Right. You are the yoga. You are not incomplete. It's bringing and, you back home. Yes. And I... I I think that the most important job of a yoga teacher is to mirror back the inner goodness and inherent wisdom in the student. Mm. And we have to find that in ourselves first. Here I thought that the entire time was to get rich and famous and get a really big Instagram following. That's what I was going for. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is if we believe that's going to solve it. Right. Right. The great dilemma of life. Like, (laughs) how do I fill this hole in me? I thought I was going to get sponsorships and get rich, (laughs) Judith. Come on. (laughs) My darling, you're you're incredibly rich. You're you're ruining the dream. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're you're bringing me into the dream, I should say. (laughs) You know, there's a saying that I'm going to sort of mangle a little bit, but it's something like the beginning student is attached to the teacher. The intermediate student is attached to the practice. The experienced student sees the clinging and lets go. Mm. Yeah. And so it's this bizarre thing that we come to the practice of asana, usually with some, what we call a problem, a physical, emotional, spiritual lack or problem or suffering or something. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for the solution. Mm. And we find it in exactly the opposite place we thought we'd find it. Mm-hmm. It's like a cosmic joke. Yeah. <laughs> Jokes on us again. <laughs> Once again. Oh man, Judith, what are we doing? What are we doing here? What are we doing? <laughs> we're, you know what we're doing? We're, we're, we're allowing happiness to arise. And I think the most powerful way we can do that is to, when I step on my mat every day to start my practice, Mm -hmm. I do it consciously. I put my palms together. I lower my head, whether I'm sitting or standing. And I just have, sometimes I even say it out loud in my yoga room to myself or quietly, just this deep gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it's a gratitude for, having this practice and because gratitude is a quality I, I want to cultivate. I think it's an extremely important 
quality because it is the seed of the tree of compassion. That when gratitude fills us up, compassion spontaneously arises. And you know who the hardest person in the world is to have compassion for is, don't you? Ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen a lot of people practicing yoga and they have an invisible whip that they're flagellating themselves with. Oh yeah. This is why, this is why I teach. I, I mean, I, I tell people now, now I've realized this 10 years later, I'm like, Oh, selfishly, this is for me because <laughs> I need to hear all the stuff that's coming out of my mouth right exactly. now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I should probably do half of the things that I tell you, everyone else to do. Well, we're learning. We're humans. <laughs> no, we don't need discipline because of order. Mm-hmm. We need discipline because of freedom. Right. I mean, discipline to me is not force, it's consistency. 10 minutes on the mat every day instead of just an hour once a week is discipline. Discipline is consistency. Mm-hmm. And that's what softens our hearts. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I train, you'll, you'll hear this if you take my training. So one of the most important things I want to teach the students who've chosen to study with me is to is is observation. I think it's a really important skill in teaching because mm-hmm. if you can't see, you can't help. Mm-hmm. And I want, but I want that to be to see with soft eyes. Say more to that. To the soft eyes, not the eyes of judgment, but the eyes of compassion. Right. And to truly see the person standing in front of you as a whole being. Remembering that they have their own background, their own story, their own experience, and we're not here to change or shift that, but just witness. Yes. And we're here to offer them another choice. Mm. You know, like I, I even use that in my language when like there's a pose and I'm not so happy with the alignment. And I say, may I offer you another way of thinking about this pose and doing it? Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to try this? Like, let your hip drop a little more mm-hmm. and see how that feels. Right. Oh my God, that's so much better. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that doesn't work for me. Okay, we just learned something. Let's try it the other way. So, yeah, language reflects a lot of of who we are, and I think that what we want to do is help the student in uncover their own inner trikonasana that that archetypal image of their own warrior pose. Mm. You know, I have alignment. I mean, I went to physical therapy school to be a better yoga teacher. And I I know about anatomy and kinesiology and the body and all of that. So I want them to follow these basic quote unquote truths of what the body says. Mm -hmm. In fact, I just have a new book out about that called yoga myths. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. The title is yoga myths. What we need to learn and unlearn for a safe and healthy yoga practice. So let me read you the names of a couple chapters, if I may. Please do. One, the first one is stop tucking your tailbone. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't say that word around me. I get, I get so triggered. <laughs> <laughs> and another one is why you don't need neck rolls, but you do need blankets for shoulder stand. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, of it, one of them is diaphragmatic breathing and other myths. And why doing nothing for 20 minutes is never a waste of time. So this book came about because I, I've taught on six continents now in almost every state. And I keep hearing these same memes in teaching that don't seem to follow what I know about the body. And I'd love to give you a quick example of one, if you're willing. Yeah. All right. You probably, 
I mean, I used to teach this. You probably heard it. Maybe you teach it. We tell people to put the weight in Tadasana on all four corners of the foot. Mm-hmm. You heard that? I When I first started teaching, I believed that there was four corners and it was because I did the parrot thing. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't do that anymore. I definitely teach very different right. from that now. But, you know, if you look at someone from the side in Tadasana, mm-hmm. where does the lower leg come into the foot? It doesn't come into the foot at the middle. Can you imagine if your tibia, your shin bone came down in the middle of your foot and then your foot went equally to the front and back, you'd look like a hobbit or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The tibia comes down and joins with the talus and the calcaneus Canius, with the yeah. larger bones of stability. And then you have the tarsals and the metatarsals. And of course, the phalanges. These are the slender bones of propulsion and balance. Mm-hmm. So I teach people, just if you look like an architect or an engineer, with that mentality and understanding that the weight bearing comes down two thirds on the back of the foot and one third on the front. Triangles. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah. that the book talks about those kind of things. Let's look at the body first and see what, what the shape is telling us about the function. Mm. Anyway. What is the biggest thing you hear still to this day where you're just, you maybe smack your head and you're like, we're still doing this. <laughs> you mean the thing that triggers me the most? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going for, dude. Let's go there. <laughs> you want to trigger me, do you? <laughs> I want to know what keeps you up at night. <laughs> um. One of the things that I don't enjoy hearing mm-hmm. is doing trikonasana between two panes of glass. Oh my gosh. <laughs> First of all, if I saw someone doing trikonasana between two panes of glass, I would exit the situation quickly because I would not want to hang out with that person. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, because it's thinking of the body as a stick figure and the hip joint is a rounded shape and we need to, and the pelvis is is one bony ring. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it shifts a little bit to allow us to walk, but the pelvis, the pelvis is everything. Basically I'm heavily into the pelvis because Mm -hmm. everything, I mean, it's just this, it means basin and the pelvis is just this cauldron of life. It's just like, it's a messy, messy cauldron of life. And that's where we move. We initiate walking, we move from, and it's all circular movements. Mm -hmm. And so to allow the pelvis its own intelligence because the body is smarter than you are. Mm-hmm. It knows how to move. And so part of what asana is to me is to allowing that natural movement of the pelvis instead of the intellectual imposition of a two-dimensional shape. This is why I wrote my book, Yoga Miss. Does that make sense to you? 100%. Yeah. I, I love, uh, I'm like kind of stewing on the pelvis is, uh, what did you call it? It's the cauldron of life. It's, it's, it's messy. But I also, when I teach anything to, I teach a lot to, to recently, I've been geeking out on glutes a lot because I feel like they're underutilized and we sit specifically, you've been sitting way too much now in, in the state oh. of Corona. Yes. And so I think people's glutes are underutilized. So I've been saying a lot, you know, like your, your pelvis and, and specifically everything that lives in this street, it's like your, your motor for, for your body. It does a lot of work. It does. Yeah. It absolutely does. Well, no, the pelvis is messy because we, we pee, we poo, we menstruate, we give birth, we, we, we absorb, we, you know, it's, 
it's where feelings really arise, you know, mm-hmm. it's just this cauldron of all the, you know, the sexuality we create life from the, I mean, the pelvis is the center of the universe. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to pick up your book. I'm so excited about this. This is your 10th. It is. This is I love that you casually earlier, you were like, yeah, I wrote my 10th book. <laughs> we need to celebrate that, Judith. That's, <laughs> oh, that's, I'm celebrating. I, that's, I'm going to send you one. Don't worry about it. Go that's ahead. 10 books. <laughs> Do you know how many books? I have none. <laughs> well, you know what? I've always loved writing. Yeah. And I have this secret thing about it where I just want to tell you, I'm sure no one else is listening, but when I have an idea for something I want to write, I just get quiet and I let that idea, I put that back again, this image into the back of my mind, like a soup pot simmering on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And I just put it all in there. And then when I sit down to write it, it comes out. Mm. And I think it's also, this book was easier because I was basically teaching this. Like, it's, it felt like teaching. So what I found with writing books is it's very much like painting your room. What a good painter does is, you know, tapes the windows, fix, caulks the cracks, washes, you know, uh, covers the floor, covers the furniture, moves it to the center, does all this preparation work. And then what's the fun part is the actual painting, right? But so we go in a room, we just want to start painting, but the good painter does all this preparation. And to write a book, you need an outline. So I get this, I spend a lot of time on my intention with the book, who's my audience. I write a detailed outline and then I just write from that. It's not hard. I need to take, I need to take those lessons and bring them in. I always struggle and I'm like, okay, well, for me, I guess my form of communication, I love the podcast. I love that I get to speak to people. I want to have conversations and whatnot, but who knows, maybe I'll start writing. Maybe I'll take these little notes and put them into play. You know what? You have such a unique voice. Well, thank you. (laughs) Because at first blush, people see one thing. But there's so much more to you. They, you know, they they people project on us as teachers, mm-hmm. and they see you as you know an ashtangi, mm-hmm. and but you're there's much more to your practice. I mean, it's it's not just a physical practice. It, it looks like that from the outside, but you've got you've got a lot of experience in self reflection. That yeah. you know you understand that life is darkness and light. Mm-hmm. So, you know. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had the privilege of having some ama- amazing, you know, spiritual teachers and and movement teachers and, and all the things that have given me the the tools and the resources and reminded me, um, you know, that it's in, it's within and have held that space and even encouraged along the way. So I'm, I'm super, super thankful to, to have that. Even these conversations like this one with you, I would consider it a teaching, you know, well, I get to share, so share this, this wisdom of yours. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. It's quite a gift. Thank you. But what I want to remind you of is yes, you had those opportunities, but you took them mm. and not everyone takes them. 
Because everything is already laid out in front of us. God is not hiding. Mm -hmm. And the difference is tuning in to it, accepting it, being willing to think a new thought. Buddha said, do not seek enlightenment, merely cease to cherish beliefs. He didn't say don't have beliefs because beliefs are this are this structure, you know, a structure, and we can become really rigid in our belief system about reality and ourselves. And if you want to see that, just open the front door and walk out. Right. And it's out there. We all have it to a certain extent. But what Buddha said, and I think is this great wisdom, is notice how your belief systems limit you. For example, for me, whenever I get triggered, you know, a mild ruffle, it's because a belief of mine has been challenged. Like the belief that the car in front of me should not be going exactly slow enough to where I can't pass them. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that too, actually. So we're good. <laughs> of course. You know, and I have a secret belief that when I go to the grocery store, which I just did, that I should go downstairs, push the garage door, it should open, my car should start, I should get on the road, and everyone else should move to the side. I should drive up, be able to park in front with a parking meter that already has plenty of money on it, go in the store and be out of there in 10 minutes, and the whole thing should unfold in the opposite order on the way home. How do I know that I have that belief? Because I get irritated when it doesn't happen. Right. And so what I think learning is, is the willingness to be porous and let go of white knuckling and holding on to our own view of the pose, our own view of the world, our own sense that we're right. Because when we soften a little bit, then and only then can we change. And that's what you've done. And that was your choice. And I don't think you should put all the credit to that on your teachers. Yes, they deserve, all our teachers deserve our, our namastes, but we also need to own our goodness. Now, and this is such an interesting thing to me as a teacher. If I say to a class who has trouble with Uttanasana, lots of people will raise their hand, right? But if I say who doesn't have much trouble with Uttanasana, no one will raise their hand. Even there, there are people in there who just look fold completely flat together, standing forward, bend just flat. Right. And, and what I've kind of figured out is that both of those are about ego. I'm not good enough or yes. So saying that I could do Tanasana without a lot of difficulty is just a fact. It's not, it's not showing off. And so do you see what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I'm not better than I just had my hamstring surgically removed at birth, you know, I <laughs> forward. Yeah. Just, I, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so I really have so enjoyed this conversation and the tone of it and, and getting to know you a bit, but, and I just want to say, we, I think what freedom is, is be a, being able to say these, these are the things that I'm challenged. And these are the things that thanks to God, they came to me unbidden. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I understand. Totally. You have done the work. Thank you. And that's not because you're better than other people. It's just you made that choice in that moment. And eventually everyone does the work. 
Judith, I, I can't, I, I mean, I, I, again, I, I said this at the start, I, I, I'm so thankful for your time and your presence today. And I really cannot wait. And I'm hoping fingers, toes, everything crossed that next summer, I get to spend these two weeks with you and do <laughs> one and two and just be physically in your presence and, and be able to take these teachings firsthand from you. I've, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. I so appreciate your work. I appreciate what you've done for the yoga community. Everyone else should as well, because you've really, again, the, the agency of choice is, is you've, I just appreciate you. And I, I really, truly cannot wait to spend some time with you in person. Thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. And I have been a fan of yours since this program began. Oh, and so I expected it to go on for many years. <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Judith. I appreciate you coming on Seeker and Sage today. And until the next uh, Seeker and Sage session, this is Judith and Danny saying goodbye. All right. May, I, may we live like the lotus at home in the muddy water. Namaste and thank you all. Namaste. Namaste.